0: I see
1: Welcome to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Bridget Flaherty. And I am Kiana Daniels. And today we are going to be talking about and with Ashmael Goland, a friend of mine. And we are going to be talking about trauma, the impact on our bodies, on our spirits, on our souls, and what healing looks like. And can look like. And we're gonna explore some body work, which is healing modalities that may be different than therapy or used in conjunction with therapy.
2: So, my name is Ashmael. I'm a Hakomi student, and I also study internal family systems and clinical hypnotherapy. And I was a massage therapist and energy worker for 10 years.
1: So, one of the things that Ashmael talked about that was a catalyst for her. And I think this is a way to examine, are there things that I am not aware of that are showing up in my body or in my way of being? And for her, it was regular panic attacks.
2: So I went to massage therapy school and I'm in this room where we're talking about boundaries and Intention and conscious touch and people are touching my body very strategically and medically and with compassion. And I was, yeah, I was freaking out. I started having anxiety attacks daily. It wasn't until years later. I, you know, I just thought I was insane. I thought I was going crazy, but it wasn't until years later that I understood that my body memories were getting stirred up. And I even I even called my mom and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just go to the grocery store and I feel like something's wrong or something's going to happen. And I would have these anxiety attacks on my way home from school and have to pull over on the side of the road and just curl up in a ball in my car and breathe. And at this point, my insomnia was super bad. I had like crippling social anxiety to the point where I couldn't even really look people in the eyes too much. And I would just have this every day. And it was just a nightmare.
1: What for other people seemed like a normal thing was triggering these responses that were so intense
3: that she knew there was something. Wow. That delayed or relayed pain, right? Like something emotionally, well, physically something happened to her, but also it stayed with her emotionally and mentally, but it was just dormant, but it relayed or came back up in a physiological way that would trigger her to let her know that she needed to heal. And so, yes, that happens all the time. I had a very similar experience, not in a physiological way, but in a way that I knew There were things that I had not dealt with. And at the time of my life, I had not been a vulnerable person. So I would suffer in silence. I would keep things, life, things that happened to me, whether based on my own bad decisions or things that I had no control over. The experience that I would have would be this sense of heaviness. It was a sense of heaviness and sadness. And like consciously, I would not be sad. But my body telling me that, yes, you are sad or my emotions telling me that I was sad is what made me deal with it. And then I had no control over how my emotions came out. And I was just like cry uncontrollably. So that was like my trigger to let me know that, hey, you need to release these things from you and heal this thing. You got to deal with it. There's no more time to not deal with something that is emotionally impacting you.
1: There's been a lot of studies about the way that our brain remembers trauma versus the way our brain remembers normal memory. And often when we were triggered, the response doesn't show up as a direct link to the event. It shows up in our emotional brain, our limbic brain. And often even telling about it, talking about it, doesn't necessarily heal it because it is a different type of memory. It's stored differently. It's stored in the body.
2: So when I finally graduated and I kind of was hanging on by a thread, you know, I like barely passed. I, that was, I lived in LA and I, I got a job at a chiropractic office and doing my best to work through the anxiety. And I had a client get inappropriate with me during a session right in the chiropractor's office and I had a full-blown panic attack. And I thought I couldn't breathe and my I was getting tunnel vision and I ran out of the room and ran down the hall and I was crying and frantically breathing. And I basically just knew at that point, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't work. And I basically quit my job and moved back home with my parents.
3: Her point of, like, you know, having this experience and having to have this humbling experience of, like, quitting her job and going back to live with her parents, right? If there's no other trigger to tell you that you need to do some healing.
1: So, Ashmael's journey of healing started with an ayahuasca experience. So, She talked about a documentary called DMT, The Spirit Molecule, which she watched and was listening to people's experience. And the time, she said, I want to do that someday. Now, it was a while after that that she ended up doing that. But have you seen DMT, The Spirit Molecule, the documentary?
3: I have not, but now I'm intrigued.
1: Okay. Have you heard anything about DMT or ayahuasca? I have not. Okay. This is going to be exciting
2: basically ayahuasca is a vine which is mixed with a another plant called chacruna and it basically activates the plant and it's a psychoactive psychedelic plant medicine it's a brew and so they brew it like a tea although it tastes terrible (laughs) it doesn't really taste like tea it's kind of thick it's made in the jungle so there are ceremonies in colombia brazil and even hawaii but I believe it's native to Peru. Don't quote me on that. But that's where the real masters that work with that medicine are, is the Shipibo shaman.
1: She traveled to Peru to be part of this month-long ceremony where indigenous shaman gave her this hallucinogenic tea that triggered a purge. So it's a biological purge, both directions, and it exposed for her
3: the work that she needed to do, that she was needed to work on. It sounds a little bit like the effects of shrooms, which I've never done. We'll leave it there. And, but it sounds a lot like shrooms in that what it can bring up for you.
1: Yes. So actually ayahuasca is considered in the same kind of family of shrooms. It is a more intense experience. And in her experience, it was done in a safe way with a shaman in the traditional indigenous ways in which this plant is administered.
2: So the space where the ceremony was held was called maloka. It's a big, round, open room with hardwood floors and just screens. There's no windows or anything. And it's in this really beautiful area everyone has their own little nest. I think there were 12 people in my group and I don't know how big the room was, but really big, huge. Like Everyone is probably like 10 feet apart from each other with a lot of space and everyone, you basically have a headlamp so that you can get up and go to the bathroom because there's no light. Everyone has a puke bucket and some tissues and <laughs> any sacred objects that you might need. You might want some mosquito repellent, that's about it. And then there was a male and female shaman and then a facilitator. So once the ceremony started, we would each go up one by one and take our dose of ayahuasca.
1: So one of the things that came up for her through this experience was a number of repressed memories.
2: It basically brought me face to face to whatever I was not able to feel in the moment because I went into or flight i froze and these things sort of just happened to me and i was not able to escape as a child so we talk about repressed memories in psychology but in shamanism basically it's soul loss it's where part of the soul leaves because the situation that it's been in was too painful for it to endure so in order to reclaim that part of my soul or to reclaim that lost memory i need to process the situation that caused it to leave in the first place. And there are layers to it, layers and layers and layers. And not only was I getting to the original trauma of what had happened with my family members, I was also having to process all the things that I had said and done and things that had been done to me while I was high or drunk or frozen or when I was not having good boundaries. And all of that stuff came up to the surface to be processed.
1: Now, I have personal experience with this. And actually, this interview brought up a lot for me. It was an intense, I had a reaction after talking with Ashmael about this because of my own experiences with repressed memories. There's a book called The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Volk. And he talks about how trauma and stress harms us through physiological changes in the body and to the brain that persist throughout life. One of the interesting statistics in that book is that memory loss for victims of childhood sexual abuse is 19 to 38 percent. And it is a defense mechanism so that we continue to survive. But what happens is that it continues to affect us in adulthood, often without us knowing That it is affecting us, which was the case for Eshmael. She had sexual trauma in childhood that she repressed, that caused harm, that she continued to repeat in adulthood. And it was through this ayahuasca experience that she was able to retrieve those memories.
2: In a nutshell, it just forced me to process everything everything that caused me to get into freeze or flight in the first place and these memories were in my body it's not just in my mind where i'm thinking about it i mean my body was shaking and grieving like some, my whole muscles were like squeezing together and shaking it off and i could just feel the earth soaking it all in.
3: Wow. That's so deep. And I'm thankful that she was able to have that interview with you and share those experiences with you, because I know how sometimes traumatic experiences can be very difficult to talk about. So I commend her 100% for being able to share, to be able to help others. And so I oftentimes, Bridget, wonder if there are any experiences from my childhood that I have repressed. I oftentimes just question, like, do I have the tools to even handle it if it did come up? If if, in fact, there is something that I have repressed. And so for me, I am very much interested in hearing more about how she handled that as those deep rooted traumas came up for her, because that might even help me to like ease my mind more about like, you know, okay, say if I do have some things that I'm oppressing, how do I handle it?
1: One of the things that she did talk about was that when it happened, she wanted to run. She didn't want to experience what she was experiencing. She didn't want to see what she was seeing.
2: I really had no idea what to expect. And I was terrified. I felt like I was gonna throw up before I even took the medicine, I was so afraid. But I guess what I can say is that, you know, my main reason for going to this ceremony was that I wanted direction and I wanted to know what my life purpose was. I wanted to know why I was here. Oh, oh, now I'm gonna get emotional again. (laughs) I wanted to know why I was on this planet. And, you know, it showed me this whole path has shown me but It started off with doing a lot of clearing and emotional work. So it was hard. It took me into my trauma and showed me things that I did not remember, had no recollection of. And I remember thinking to myself the next day after that first ceremony, I wanna get the fuck out of here. I wanna run. And I thought it was so funny that like, you know, of course my soul took me to a different country And I spent like $5,000 and signed up to stay at this place for a month. Because if it had been in town and I could have got a refund, I probably, I might have booked it. And I got to this point where I just was sort of on my knees and I was like, this is it. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere and I have to face this stuff. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life working through. The deepest, darkest fear I have ever faced. And very, very intense visuals that match my emotions.
1: Our soul, our unconscious, our spirit, whatever word you want to use for that wise part of us, puts us in the positions to face our traumas
3: when we're ready to face our traumas. I agree with you. And her story really reminds me a lot of my favorite movie and book, Eat, Pray, Love. Now, because it was commercialized, we didn't see the real heart, like deep, dark moments for her. But it sounds very similar where she knew that there was something that needed to change. She probably didn't go on a year long trip, but she spent $5,000 to go to Peru to have this experience because her body And maybe her third eye was telling her that there's some things that you have to deal with. In the healing journey, we probably would tell ourselves that we can pick and choose the things that we want to heal. But when you're fully immersed in this journey, there's nothing that gets past the healing journey itself. You know what I mean? And so like when I say that, sometimes I question doing modalities like that or healing practices like that because I'm afraid for the experience to bring up things that I could be repressing. I even hear myself saying that and know that like, if I indeed am, Kiana, you need to go on ahead and deal with it because this is a part of the healing journey. Absolutely. Our fears often point us to those parts of ourselves that
1: still need to be uncovered and looked at. It's not an easy thing to do. One of the things that Ashmael talked about was the idea of reclaiming her power and power that was taken from her in the first place. The idea that abuse as a young child takes a part of your power away. And so for her, part of her journey has been going and reclaiming her power for herself.
2: So I was abused physically and sexually by... A younger family member and an older one and i actually i knew that i was physically abused by the older one but it wasn't until years later that i understood that he had sexually abused me as well so i was raised as a jehovah's witness and i was homeschooled so i was very very sheltered and i didn't and we also didn't watch tv didn't have internet so very very sheltered so Everything that I experienced, I thought was kind of normal. I didn't really have anyone to share it with. And the person that I was sexually abused by when I was younger, I felt a lot of shame and secrecy. And I thought that I would get in trouble for it. So I just kept that hidden. And when that sort of, through a string of events kind of came forward that he had sexually abused me, the younger one, it was sort of addressed by my church and then like swept under the rug a little bit and wasn't taken to any authorities. I didn't go to therapy, nothing like that. And the only reason why it got brought to light was because my mother went to therapy and was telling her therapist and then her therapist had a legal obligation to report it. The person that had sexually abused me also had a mental illness. So there was a huge thing with him being on medication but being charged with as a sex offender, but he was young and we had to go to court for all of this and and everything. One of my older family members snapped and basically beat me up and just chased me down the hall, was like, threw me across the room. Like it was bad. I had to like jump out the window. My mom got in the car, had to drive up, pick me up. And at this point she was like, I'm done. And me and her and my brother moved out of the house. But at this point, I was 14 years old and I was already pretty damn traumatized physically and sexually and repressed because of the religion. And when my mom would go to work, uh, my brother and I started partying, like, you know, with the neighbor kids and stuff. And long story short, I became addicted to cocaine by the time I was 15 years old. And during that time, I was not only addicted to cocaine, but doing every kind of drug that I could get my hands on drinking probably three or four days a week till I threw up and chain smoking cigarettes and being in dangerous situations and I didn't have these words for it back then but basically I had no boundaries I didn't know how to control myself I didn't know how to have boundaries because they had been broken so badly so I basically had this sense that I needed a boyfriend to keep me safe or to keep me from being taken advantage of by whoever from at a party or whatever it may be So the boyfriends that I had were also abusive because I was attracting that same energy that I was coming from.
1: The first time that somebody gave another perspective was a counselor that she was required to see by the court. And for the first time, there was someone who said, you do not have to be the product of where you came from.
2: So... I ended up getting a couple MIPs, so that means minor in possession, and when you get three where I was living, you have to do uh, drug and alcohol classes and go to therapy. And so I started going to these drug and alcohol classes and going to therapy, and this woman actually was the one woman that I had in my life that saw me. and loved me. And I owe a lot to her. And she started to tell me, you're smart and you should go to college. These things that have happened at home are not okay. And that makes me angry that these things have happened to you. That's not fair. And she believed in me to the point where after I no longer needed to see her with the drug and alcohol classes, she was willing to see me for free because she was so worried about me and she cared so much. So at this point, I kind of knew that I wasn't ready to stop using drugs and and everything. But I always remembered the things that she said to me and, and the conversations that we had. And I liked being seen the way that she saw me. And those
1: words were so powerful because they planted seeds that later showed up, which is extremely powerful. I mean, Therapists can be that, but all of us can be that in seeing through, however the trauma is showing up for people, and planting seeds of love is so powerful. I personally had an experience with a therapist. Her name was Deborah, and she held me. She like put her arms around me, and she held me, and she told me I was worthy of love. And that experience is like embedded in my mind and in my heart because I needed it. And she knew I needed that, right? In the same way that this counselor showed up for Ashmael in a way that just plant the seeds of you are not all of these things that happened.
3: Absolutely. And thank you for sharing it, Bridget. I think oftentimes when... We are shown things that we're not used to. We don't always know how to receive them. And it takes repetition, right, before us to, like, know that, like, this is not an anomaly or an outlier. This is not just this one experience. And so I can kind of resonate to that kind of on the flip side of being, like, the counselor or the therapist in recognizing I'm an empath. So I'm an empath. And so I can oftentimes feel when somebody else is not OK. And so I can recognize their behaviors and how they respond to things and be able to be objective and say, I know that, you know, this is not about me. Like what's really going on? And so I've, I've had experiences where I've tried to give love to people who were not used to receiving love. And we talk about grace oftentimes. And so still having to show grace to that person, even though, like, I'm trying to show them something different than what they haven't received, but need and desire in them pushing me away. And so I can see that from like both sides, right? Because it is people who have traumatic things happen to them or just have an environment where love is not a part of their family home or relationships, right? And then they come into contact with somebody who can nurture them, care for them, and love them. It's only natural for them to kind of like push that away and think that it's it's odd and weird. But being able to have grace in that moment to be able to say, I know that this is something they're not used to and I'm going to love them through it anyways. I'm glad that both you and Ashmael were able to have those therapists and counselors to be able to give you something that you needed, but weren't used to. And still, if you pushed back, was still able to be consistent with that to help heal. One of the other modalities that
1: she talked about was exercise. And for her, exercise was very critical in getting away from drug usage.
2: And I kind of went back and forth a little bit for about a year of getting clean and then slipping. But this was when I picked up running. And it was because of those drug and alcohol classes I had learned about the brain chemistry of addiction and how it saps you of oxytocin and serotonin. And so to get that natural boost, I would just force myself to go for a run when I wanted to use. And I just kept doing that. And eventually I got clean on my own. Exercise,
1: it doesn't need to be specifically as an alternative to addiction, I think it also is a powerful tool in the healing journey. For me personally, exercise not only is about the endorphins of running or lifting, it allows me to look at myself in the mirror and feel better about what I see, even if there isn't any change. Like sometimes... I will look in the mirror in the morning, then I will go to the gym and I look in the afternoon and I feel better about what I see. There's no change physically to the outside, but I feel better. And that helps to lift my mood and to help throughout the day to feel better.
3: I would agree, Bridget. I have a trainer now and every time I go to her, she is almost like RIP to who I walked in as because I'm leaving another person because like I literally am laying on the ground and I am exhausted, but it feels so good. And this is what my body needs. This is what my mental needs. This is what like everything about me needs in this moment. And so like to see ourselves and acknowledge that we have put in 2030 an hour worth of time of extenuous activity right that feels good and it's not about anybody else it's about us and so that to me is the most important part about exercising right to your point it's like you can look in the mirror and physically you haven't seen any results yet but because you just put in the work <laughs> you can feel like oh my gosh like I look great I look good and I feel good. And yes, exercise is a wonderful healing modality. I agree. It doesn't cost us anything, right? You can go take a walk. Exercise is free. It's something that can start tomorrow. It's just a challenge of ourselves, right? And being able to challenge ourselves without really thinking hard about it can really be transformative.
1: Continuing on that frame, another modality that she talked about for healing were women's circles.
2: I actually had started a women's circle where every woman would hold the talking stick and share what she's processing. And that was really helpful. I think that there's a bigger feminine spirit that comes through, or, you know, the sacred feminine comes through when women who are doing this work get together. It's bigger than each individual woman. So I saw magic happen in those groups. So it can't be overstated how important that is
1: And one of the things that she talked about was how it's bigger than the individual. So when you get in a group with other women to talk about these things, to talk about the healing process, it becomes bigger than you. It's almost like it becomes lighter in a way because you're sharing that experience with other women.
3: Right. And we know that sharing is caring and sharing is healing. And that's been our experience. And so I'm glad that Eshmael was able to find that group and trust that group enough to be able to share her experience and be a part of the bigger picture, which is very much in alignment with why we even started this podcast in the first place, right? We want to be able to normalize these types of conversations because we are not this, these experiences are not isolated. It's not just our own experience. It may be more unique to us, but there are other women in the world that are having experiences like this that can help us through the healing journey and that can support us directly and indirectly, sometimes just their presence or sometimes just them saying, you know, I don't know what you need or I don't know what to say or nothing that I say will really help you. But just know that you have my support is really important. And so me and you, right, we're both supporters of sister circles and tribes and being able to share and find it in our voice first, I think, to share because it does take a lot of courage and it takes a lot of bravery and vulnerability and transparency. But it really can't save your life at the end of the day. It can really save your life.
1: Yes. It all comes down to love, right? Love. It all comes down to love, which is another thing that Ashmael talked about that I think is interesting is she talked about a romantic relationship that was an important part of her healing process.
2: What happened was, to be honest with you, I met a man We started hanging out and he just started like telling me things about myself that I didn't, nobody ever said to me, like he heard me singing and he told me I had a beautiful voice and he was just told me that I was talented and just thought I was amazing and saw things in me that I didn't see about myself. And he became my boyfriend very quickly and we moved in together. And, you know, I wouldn't ever do that now. But back then that was like, what was healthy? for me was to be around someone who was so positive and held me in such high regard. And so he knew about my anxiety and he would just hold me. He didn't really understand it, but he just loved me and wanted to be there for me. So yeah, I would say meeting him. He comes from a very healthy Midwestern family, all boys, like no trauma really. I mean, nothing big. And he was just very simple, like farm boy that just loves to play music and just really easy going and chill. And so I think, yeah, just having that. So I think he helped me to feel grounded. So I was still having the anxiety attacks when I met him. But I think that that really helped me during that time. This conversation about
1: a relationship helping in the healing process is interesting because I often hear a lot of experts talking about getting yourself straight first before being in an intimate relationship to be right with ourselves. And I agree that the work, the healing is internal. It is ours and it is our responsibility. But I also think that love from another, a friend, a family member, or a lover can also have a really positive influence, a positive impact on our healing journey.
3: I do agree with that. I agree with both sides. I do believe that it first starts with self, being able to acknowledge that we need it and that we don't know how to receive it. And then having the courage to invite others on that journey with us and just being able to Say Sometimes we have the words to say and sometimes we don't. Sometimes those people can really help us to identify what it is. But it sounds like Ashmael was able to articulate, I have these panic attacks, I get anxiety sometimes. And even though he didn't understand it, he was able to commit to being there for her because he loved her. And so that was ultimately helping her to heal his ways, right? His ways of how he lived his life, being grounded and seemingly to be healthy. She was able to see like, I want to be like that. And maybe I can pick that up. But it sounds also like she was able to articulate first that, hey, I have these things. Can you handle it? And some people don't always have the worst because they don't know. I had a personal experience with a partner who did not have the words, right? As a social work professional, being able to have the knowledge kind of in the grand scheme of things, I could call things out or acknowledge them rather. And I knew it, but was able to still have grace. At least I tried to. I'm not perfect, but I was trying to have grace with them so that they would ultimately get to that place on their own Because to me, I think that that is important on the healing journey as well. Sometimes people, you have to be very delicate with people. And if you try to come like kind of full force and directly to them and kind of acknowledge what you see, what may be a trauma or a trigger for them, they will reject it. And to what we said, right, I just think that it can be kind of like both and. It does start with self, but being able to invite people, your loved ones, on that journey to help you and assist you, rather, with that healing journey is really important as well. So, a
1: few other modalities of healing that she touched on that I'd like to touch on are dance and bodywork. So, the first I'd like to talk
2: about is dance, like free form dance, either at a festival or in ecstatic dance or just even on my own to get me into my body and really give my body permission to move in ways that are not choreographed, like really just, I love to move and dance and get into every single nook and cranny and just breathe and just let my body be a wild animal and really do what it wants to do because that's what really helped me to like break out of the boxes that I had been put in. And I did that a lot for a couple of years actually, just I danced almost every day.
1: I know personally for me, the act of moving my body to music without any choreographed moves, just as my body wants to flow, has been extremely powerful and useful in my healing
3: journey. I would agree, Bridget. Actually, I did dance therapy this morning in the shower, and it was not even something that a therapist or a counselor ever told me to do, right? Like, I discovered it by accident if you will just because I love to dance I love music and my favorite music to put on when I need to do dance therapy is like afro beats and I just like you said it's not choreographed to just move my body and it feels so free and it's a great release and it's fun and it's just a great way to set the mood of the day a lot of times it's either that or gospel music but dance therapy Oh, my gosh. Like, so I'm glad that she talked about that because, yes, it's something that we need to explore. Absolutely.
1: Personally, I'm 45 years old. Going to the nightclubs is not a thing that I'm supposed to do at my age. But the truth is, it's therapy for me. It is therapy to just go and dance And not care about what people think and not to look like the way I'm supposed to look like to just get out there and move my body, whether it's at home or it's at the nightclub or wherever. Like the being at home and my own body and allowing it to move the way that
3: it wants to move in that moment has been so freeing. It is. It's just so thoughtless, yet intentional at the same time. It's intentional for us to do it. We're saying, yes, we're going to dance, but it's not going to have any form. It's just going to be whatever it's supposed to be and whatever comes out. Right. And so that is a very freeing thing. And I hope that more people start to explore that dance sometimes. See how it makes you feel. It also is very creative. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I'm jazzed up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to tackle my day. Now I'm going to be super productive or I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm just going to parlay my day away because that's what I feel like, because my dancing has just released me from whatever it is that I was holding on to. Another modality that she talked about was
1: bodywork and somatic experience therapy, hakami therapy, internal family systems. Something that's going to direct the person to feel where they're feeling the emotions in their body. And giving yourself permission to move it out
2: some type of psychotherapy that is somatic. So whether that's somatic experiencing therapy or Hakomi therapy, internal family system, something that is gonna direct the person to feel where they're feeling the emotions in their body, that is, in my opinion, that's been the most helpful for me because it's not just in my mind. And then also regular body work with someone who is trauma-informed.
1: For me personally, This was yoga. So I actually spent six months doing yoga every single day, going to a yoga class every single day. And when I first started doing that, that was the very beginning of yoga for me. When I first started doing yoga, I would cry on the mat every day. And it was usually in the same position. So I would put my body in a certain position. For the yoga folks out there, it was bird dogs. So in that position, I would just weep. And over time, I realized that I was holding trauma in my hips. I was holding trauma in a way that whenever I did that position, I was releasing it. And then over time, I didn't cry. And somatic experiencing therapy, internal family systems, massage, Reiki, all of these bodywork techniques are to deal with those wordless things, the things that we don't even know to talk about because they're in our bodies. We just feel them.
3: Yeah, I think you said something that was so interesting to me and definitely resonated, which was we hold these traumas in parts of our bodies. And so for you, every time you were on that mat and got in that position, you weeped because you were releasing. That was you releasing, right? Like We talked about crying being healing and cleansing. And so for me, I have tried some of those recently, some of those modalities and chakra balancing was that for me. I've done that twice or three times and Reiki once, but chakra balancing, I knew it was right. I have been researching it. And because of my Christian upbringing, right, I had to like figure out like, is this wrong? Is it right? Whatever. But when it's right and everything is in alignment, it felt right for me to do it. And I tried it for the first time last October, the day before my 32nd birthday, I had to because I was definitely feeling like something is on me. I am feeling very heavy and I need to get it off. And I am not walking into year 32 with this on me. I'm leaving whatever it is that I'm holding on to on this day at 31. Right. And so I went in and I went in with like very specific intentions of releasing and healing, deep rooted healing and I remember the next day after I did the experience, and I was blocked in three areas, which made sense. And my heart was one of them. And the next day, she told me to cleanse myself, take a shower, set more intentions. And I felt so much lighter. And it was a beautiful experience because I had truly released from my mental, my emotional, my spiritual, and my physical. Because that feeling of heaviness was something that I was holding on to. I needed to give myself permission to let it go, and that modality helped me to do it. And so it may not be for everybody, and I do believe that those experiences, when you venture out for various different type of healing practices, it should feel right. It felt right for me, and I'm so grateful that I did it. Yes.
1: So one last thing I wanted to touch on was, Ashmael talked
2: about what healing meant for her. What I truly believe that it means for me is reclamation of sovereignty and feeling grounded in my body and reclamation of my felt sense and my intuition and, you know, trusting my body and my pleasure. The ability to make choices that feel grounded in something that feels right to me. With that comes true freedom to create the type of life that I want.
1: The idea that healing is trusting my body and my pleasure hit me because so much of the time as women, we deny ourselves pleasure. We don't eat food that we like because it might go to our hips. We don't ask for what we want in the bedroom because then we might be seen a certain way. We don't buy ourselves the pair of shoes that we've always wanted because somebody else in the family needs something else. The fact that healing is trusting ourselves and trusting our pleasure is so
3: powerful. It is very powerful. And I think that we do get to a place where we have to reclaim it. That's why putting ourselves first has to be a priority and healing has to be a priority. It's so important because then we have the words to articulate to others what we need, first to ourselves, but then to other people. And having a voice, in my opinion, is so important. Being able to stand up for yourself and go to bat for yourself is important on the healing journey because then we can hold both ourselves accountable and other people accountable to this new sense of freedom that we come into as we are healing on this journey. Because we are worth it. Because we are worth it.
1: Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with us today. We look forward to continuing to have conversations with women who vulnerably share their journey with us we really hope that you enjoyed our conversations today. Thank you for joining us.
0: I see new life. I see new tides carry on through the years, Transform of you going through it all. The audacity of you trusting self all along. I see new life. I see new time.